Welcome to the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I'm Andrew Whaley. Today we have with us a very special guest, uh, who you may know, uh, Jeff Cavins, who comes to us from Minnesota and is in town for the Amazing Parish Conference, right? That's right. Good to be with you guys. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks. I wonder if he knows what he's getting into. I have, he I seems have, like he does. I have no idea what I'm getting into. <laughs> <laughs> but I know how to talk. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Well, so far we've learned about uh, your love for uh, Max and Harley Davidson's and T. Yes, and bull riding, professional bull riding. Right. You know, have you ever come to the National Western Stock Show out here in Denver? No, I haven't. Oh, well. Oh, that's the big thing. Yeah, we, a, have, we have the... It's a big to-do. Yeah, one of the national tournaments of bull yeah. riding. Give me some place. tickets. I might even ride. <laughs> do you ride bulls? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> in, in, my, in my dreams. That would be so perfect. The, the Jeff Cavins real bulls. The closest I ever got was I was going to Bible College in Dallas, Texas, and we used to go to the bull riding outside of uh, Fort Worth every Saturday night. We didn't have enough to pay off school. So we went out there, and every every week they would put a ribbon around a bull, and if you could take the ribbon off, you got $1,000. So I, was, I thought, I need the money, or I'm going to lose my you know school. So I went there, and I got uh, you know one leg over the fence to go out there, and there was a cowboy there, and I said, tell me, I said, what's, what's the key to this? And he said, don't go. And I said, what do you mean? He, I said, he said, I wouldn't do it. It's too dangerous. And so I put that leg back over. So that's, wow. the, that's the extent of my bowl. You got riding. one leg. One leg over the fence. Did somebody get the ribbon? I never saw them get it. Wow. I mean, they were mean bulls. Yeah. Thousand bucks. I know, right? That's pretty tempting. You can buy a lot of Macintosh stuff with it. Right, yeah. And tea. And tea, yeah. <laughs> Harley parts. Yeah. So, uh, so because what we, we we always do this, we have some of the best conversation before we push record. So you are bona fide, honest to goodness, long term Mac Apple geek, and I mean a Kool Aid drinking fanboy, right? I, I am. I started off, and I had a, I was a very young pastor, and I had an IBM Select. And the IBM Select allowed me to type, and then I could press one button, and it erased what I typed. So I thought, I got it made in the shade. I can type up all my sermons and books and everything else. And a guy came in, and he started to show me what you could do on these early computers, and I was I was taken in by it. So what year is this? This is in the uh, 81. Wow. Yeah. So the Select was a, a typewriter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, you can yeah. go to museums and see them. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's, Typer. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an ancient form of communication, similar to the book. But like uh, cuneiforms. <laughs> but I, um, you know, I started using the computer, and there was something about there was something about the computer that fascinated me. And, and at the time that I started, there was only about five thousand people on the internet. It's amazing. And so I was getting into a university, and and I wasn't technically trained, but I was fascinated with this stuff and the idea that mm-hmm. that you could put a thousand sermons on one floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like. Right. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And it was, my mind just really went with that. So, yeah, I, I started using uh, Max way back when he was at Wozniak and Jobs were still together and barefoot. And uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve, was, Steve yeah. was rolling around sm- smelling, smelly, and, and <laughs> yeah. eating nothing but fruit. Yeah. And actually, actually, one of the first times I, I, I saw the potential of it was over in Israel. And I went to, I had friends that were working on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And they had an old, well, it was an old, brand new Mac with floppies. Huh. And they had the Dead Sea Scrolls on a floppy. Yeah, you know, and they were they were studying them this way with a with this one application, uh, an ancient form of FileMaker. 
and uh, I was just wow. I was so taken with this. So it became my 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 real hobby. I probably wasted a lot of time on it, but the the thing that people know me for, which is the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, I actually programmed the entire timeline on a Mac, on a Mac SE, in HyperCard. And for those who don't know what HyperCard is, HyperCard is one of the earliest languages for the Mac. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now I want to go find my. I think I have that. I have your Bible timeline somewhere, like in my books. I'm going to go look at it and go, HyperCard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I own it. <laughs> that's that's spectacular. Yeah. So what? Now what year? When you were there's five thousand people on the internet. What year this, is this? This is a, like at the late seventies. Wow, the early eighties, right in there. That, the, so the internet, I didn't, I didn't know the internet. Well, that's, my, that's what the University of Minnesota says. They have a class on the internet, and they're saying we estimate that this amount, you know, we're on at this time. And I didn't even know. So the I internet don't know. Was, I wouldn't quote me on that. I didn't was, even know the internet was going at that. point. Oh yeah, I knew. I, Al, I knew Al Gore. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you had to be hand invited by Al Gore at that point, right? You had that's, to get <laughs> that's back when the Earth was its normal temperature. Okay, exactly. Did you major yeah. in computer science? No, right? I, no, I didn't. You're I just was really interested. I was fascinated by it, oh. and if I get fascinated by something like bull riding Harley and tea, I go into it with everything I've got. Okay, no, okay, about bull riding then. So. I- I don't understand how the scoring system works exactly. I mean, I've watched several yeah. bull riding competitions, but I mean, what what's sort of the big difference between a really good bull rider and a, a kind of regular run of the mill bull rider? A really good bull rider stays on the bull. Well, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> for eight seconds. Okay, so if you ride the bull for eight seconds, the score is divided up. Fifty percent of the score is the bull. Fifty percent of the score is. The rider. So if the bull gets a 45 and the rider gets a 45, you got a score of 90, which is an unusually good, sure. a good ride. And so, and the rules are you can't, you got you have one one hand on the rope, you cannot touch the bull with the other hand, yeah. with your body, and um, and you got to stay on. And it's wild. <laughs> so you're kind of like you're hoping that this bull does a little something. Yes. But you're also hoping, but not that, too much something. But not too much something. Yeah, because if the bull, wow, that's I, I never knew that the bull was half the score. Half the score. You get a crummy bull. You get a crummy score. And the judges will say, "Well, the bull was not that good to give you a rewrite." Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated that you have watched bull riding. Well, I've and I have never. I've and been I, to the National Western Stock Show. I have watched this bull riding. I've, I've never been, and I'm from, I'm from Rodeo. I'm from a small town in southern Missouri. Every week, PBR. This is big business now. You know? No, I bet it is. And us cowboys yeah. really get into it. Yeah. I say us cowboys. Us cowboys. Yeah, I gotta consider myself a cowboy. Now, are you originally from Minnesota? Yeah. Okay. I was born in Iowa, but I was. Re- I, can you scratch that part about Iowa? <laughs> can, you, can you edit that? But yeah, I, 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 I was raised in Minnesota, and uh, I, my first five years were on the campus of Iowa State. And my dad got a PhD in electrical engineering, and we moved up to the Twin Cities. I was just thinking about like where cowboys live, and Minnesota isn't the first no, place that comes to mind. No, you know where I got involved. And in we, we went down to Dallas, Texas, to Bible college, and we we didn't have much money. Yeah. And the only way we got around was a motorcycle. So we'd go out to these little small town rodeos and try to steal the ribbon off the bull. Yeah. Right? yeah. But we go to the small town rodeos, and you get two bucks, you get in there, and it's, you had a whole evening of entertainment. Huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I put my boots on, my belt. <laughs> You know, I've I suppose it's cheaper than cheaper. Put on a toy. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I've, you know, I kind of honestly, I, I have never been to Iowa. 
And I'm from. You've never even driven through. And I'm from Missouri. Really? And every time I meet someone from yeah, Iowa, I'm like, unreal. you know, you really need to work on the pitch. I mean, I've grew up just beneath you. Yeah. And there, it, it's pretty boring in Missouri. And there was, I've been to Arkansas and Illinois. I've been all kind. Nothing ever drew There's me. There's got to be something there. That's where the that's where the first primary is. So nothing. Yeah. I mean, corn, nothing. Nothing. Corn. Corn. Yeah. There's a lot of corn. Yes, there's a lot of corn. A lot of corn. Yeah. Copi- copious, <laughs> copious amounts of corn. And yeah, yeah. well, there's a, the Ira Riders Workshop. I mean, that's the, uh, And they're famous yeah. for their ride. It's called Rag Bri. It's the ride, bicycle ride across Iowa. They're famous for that. Yeah. Okay. Your listeners are just going to be fascinated with this. This Iowa is facts. super yeah. Iowa facts for you because we care. It sounds like a new there. podcast, actually. I, I saw something very interesting on my way back from that area when I was driving through uh, Nebraska. Well, that's a whole different ball game. I, well, it is. I saw Nebraska. I, I saw the sandhill crane migration. Have you heard of this? Okay, so there's <laughs> one species of crane, the sandhill cranes, that live in Canada in the summer and Texas in the winter. And <laughs> at two points during the year, they all fly back through this like tiny strip of Nebraska for some reason. Mm-hmm. Where the, where the sand hills are. There are a bunch of hills made out of sand. Mm-hmm. And so, hence, they're the sand hill cranes. It's, I mean, so we saw thousands upon thousands of them. It's kind of weird. Okay, so let's talk about bulls more. Um, <laughs> bulls. I don't see anything on pay-per-view or anything about these cranes, but... <laughs> No, the bull, bull. Think about it. Bull riding is one of the greatest sports in the world. What sport do you tie yourself to two thousand pounds of angry meat, and you got to stay on it? For, for eight seconds, There's, it's the most dangerous sport in the world. Uh, yeah, I can't really think of any other sport. I mean, UFC seems Wheel. pretty dangerous. Golf doesn't even compare. <laughs> <laughs> I firmly, I'm going to make some people mad, but I firmly, I firmly don't consider golf a sport. It's more of like a, a trick or like a, a stunt. Or say, hey, look. Hey, look! I can hit this ball really far, and it'll go. Hey, well done! I mean, it's like it's like. What's it? Okay, so I can wear these pants and act like I'm serious. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't seem like a, this, a sport uh, to me. Today we had a thesis. Steve's gonna hate us now. Uh, which was on um, uh, sort of like sports and Christian virtues. Mm-hmm. But what the question that it made me think about was: Are there certain sports that are more Christian than others? Well, you know what? Um, yeah, uh, bull riding. <laughs> Because uh, okay, so, you're trying to tame the beast. <laughs> because every one of them prays before that the gate opens. Especially the Brazilians are crossing themselves. And but honestly, there's a whole branch of Christian bull riding ministry. If you just Google it, huh. and and a lot of the Brazilians are Christians or they're Catholic. And then they've got all these guys. Some of them put they, have, they put Jesus on their collar. I mean, they they got crosses. I, I'd say this: if I was strapped to a bull, I'd be a Christian too. <laughs> I'd be I'd, so, I'd be whatever it took. Well, that's what I, was like, I mean, to me, it seems like uh, like the, the sports I could label as sort of the least Christian would be the ones that are the most violent, right? Like boxing or mm-hmm. UFC or something like this, where people are really trying to hurt each other. Yeah, uh, it seems uh, that bull riding is pretty close to those. Dude, Mark Mark Driscoll's going to punch you out in a bar for saying that. Well, I, I, like, I mean, was he an Ultimate Fighter? No, he's the pastor of Mars Hill out in Seattle. Well, I guess he was the pastor. They, though they have, they love UFC, and he preaches about UFC. Huh. Like he loves UFC. He likes it, huh? Yeah, but they're they're they've dissolved. I mean, I wouldn't listen so. to his arguments about why it's 
such a Christian story. I'd be curious. I think I think doing a whole show on the UFC would be interesting just to find out how do we go from boxing, which was considered barbaric, now seems tame, to ultimate fighting in the octagon. Yeah. Yeah. You could, or you could listen to our last episode, which was the, right, ritual, the ritualization of, of violence, <laughs> which we talked about the ritualization of violence, and we went from out from gladiators all right. the way to UFC and stuff, and talked about. Yeah, more. this is episode thirty-four, by the way, in case you're wondering. Yes, yeah, so episode thirty-three was about the ritualization of violence. That's kind of stuff no, we talked about. But that's a great question, right? Because football, you know, there's all this stuff in the uh, in the news about how football is so dangerous yeah, and whatever. Concussions. And, and boxing used to be the most popular sport, but it's been relegated to kind of like the sweet like science. It's like you're tamed and you have rules. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yet UFC has become extremely popular. Yeah. And, kind of and what's funny, though, is that there are a really high percentage or an increasingly high, increasing percentage of Christians involved with UFC. Really? There's a there's a, a, a guy that's a customer in the cafe that I run, um, Nate the Great Marquette. He's an internationally ranked, amazing UFC fighter, and he's had a massive conversion to Christianity. He comes into the ring to listen to the Christian hip-hop hmm. and stuff, and I mean, he's like... I think I've seen the guy. Yeah. Not that I watch this stuff. <laughs> yeah, Nate the Great Marquette. I mean, yeah, he's... If you're listening, Nate, shout out to Nate. But, but think about the guys that watch UFC, and I've seen it. I, I actually went when the Octagon first came up, just as a sociological type of thing. Right. I right. wanted. To, I wanted to see yeah. that these guys are in a ring, and they hurt each other. Right. And everyone wants them to hurt each other. Nobody wants a draw right. on, on an Octagon fight. They want tap out. Mm-hmm. They want knockout. They prefer to see blood. And that's the human nature, is that they're, they're willing to pay $20, and in, in hopefully every one of the matches is a tap out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Submission hold. Well, I mean, it, it is, I mean, it's kind of like the gladiators in ancient Rome, yeah. except not quite as horrible, because right? no one actually dies. But then the question is, not to, you know, not to put out a damper on this, but what about Philippians 4.8? Think on these things, yeah. you know? And then you start thinking about the things that are beautiful, you know, beautiful, true, and, and you think, and then ask yourself, would, this is a good philosophical question, would Jesus go to a UFC title match? And that's it. It was his mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that is a good question. Well, I mean, if, he, well, if, he, well, if he did, why would he be why there? Would he be why would he And what would he do when he was there? Right. And would he... You know, and who 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 would he talk? Who would he who would he talk to after the loser or the winner? You know, it's like you know, ESPN comes over and interviews him. I think there's something. How to say it? Though, I think that in the modern world, it's become. I think this is what I said in the last podcast. That in the modern world, we have lost the compelling necessity to be physically on and able and capable to defend. You know, the family, the tribe, the village. You know, we don't have to be physically strong mm-hmm. and willing to hurt for the sake of what is our responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll stay up late and work a thousand hours and have a backache and still go in and all, all that stuff. But there's something about, especially men, I think, that want to be... It's the sheep and the wolves. On, you know, you like, want to be capable. It's like the whole idea that, like, you know, 99% of people are the sheep, Right, right, uh, and then there are the wolves, which is less, hopefully, less than one percent, the bad guys. But then there's got to be somebody who's protecting the flock, right? The sheepdogs. 
Right. Yeah. And so that's I mean that's how the military kind of sees their role. You know, it's kind of protecting the people that can't protect themselves. You know, and police officers. You're like quoting American Sniper right. at this point. Right? Well, well, I mean, I mean it's yeah. just it's just yeah. in the air, right? So no, I do. I think that's true. It's like there's, you know, so like, but there's there's a way in which there's a line in that movie in, where he says, "Bless with the gift of violence." In traditional cultures, every man was part of protecting the right, 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 part right. of protecting the sheep. And in, in our culture, right, we, we've specialized so much that some men are part of the protection force, but not all men. No, I'm with you. I mean, it's. I mean, look. I mean, you you you're you're in you know books and at a desk and with your family. I'm making fancy coffee and ideas all day or what. It's like, you know, and there's 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 something deep down in each of us that kind of goes, yeah, I need to be able to. Take a punch and throw that's a what punch. what Eldridge said. Wild at heart. I, no, absolutely. This is an Eldridge 101. Yeah. That's, this, is, uh, this is what you're, you have beauty to defend, a battle to win, all that. And every, guy, every guy wants that. I mean, that's, that's why I work out the way I do. I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, if you can't see him, it's, an, it's impressive. I mean, it's... <laughs> or depressive. <laughs> it depends on what. <laughs> no, it's, and it's kind of innate that they did this. Wait, 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 so we didn't ask what his workout though. So you do like uh, nunchucks or uh, mixed martial arts yeah. or uh, <laughs> uh, Russian kettlebell or yeah, yeah, all of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I push BWs around things like that. <laughs> he does Bible Bell. It's CrossFit. like it's like you take a bunch of really thick Bibles <laughs> and strap them together, and then you use them like a kettlebell, and he recites scripture while he's you know it's like he used to do marathons. My roommate just ran like a half, his first half marathon, and he's like, he's a P, he's a physical therapy student, really good shape, runs and stuff. And dude, he looked rough after his, with his friends came over to watch a Game of Thrones, and he was like hobbling around the house. He, he looked rough after a half marathon. Wow. I was like, dude, how these guys run a marathon? Like, I have a good, I have a hard time walking to mass. One of know, my man. professors at Catholic U. Ran marathons until he was in his seventies, and the mm. doctor told me he had to stop. Yeah, I don't know. I just it's intense. I can't to run. Something would have to be chasing me, I mean, and it's like it's, and not something that could give me a quick death. We're talking about slow maiming involved because I'll shirk off this mortal coil before I'll run. But you know, but I mean, if it's a, if it's gonna be like a slow maiming, I I could see. Well, no, I told you the story about when I was in New York. And I call for an Uber, and this Uber pulls up, and I get in, and I realize that it wasn't—it was the nicer one, and it wasn't an Uber. The Uber I ordered by coincidence, oh, yeah, he pulled up, right? So I get out, and I got my bag, and he drives off, and I'm in. And right as my—I look down, and my phone dies, and I realize my laptop bag is in the Uber oh, that no. just drove up, and I'm in the middle of Manhattan. So then I saw that Uber down the street, parked a block and a half away, and this. Big fat man with arthritis in his knee and bad ankles. I ran, dragging my luggage behind me. So I found out what it hurt, but I got there and I got it. And I got a ride to the airport out of the deal. But I tell you what, I was wondering what it would take to get me to run. And I found I out know, in Manhattan. Yeah. It was like losing <laughs> my Mac. Or, or That's what I, my that, Mac yeah. was in there. I'm like, no, I just bought that power so, book. So, like, you know, Jeff also told us he's interested in tea, which I think is an important question to ask because Andrew has quite an interest in such things. Well, I'm the coffee. I, I'm a tea moron. I don't know anything about tea. Mm. I serve it. I know a little bit of it. Um, but you're in the Japanese teas, which I know even less about. 
Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I, we have sort of a, a little routine every day where I get up in the morning and I make I make a pot of black tea. We first have a glass of, or a cup of <laughs> glass, a cup of uh, tea, and then um, and then throughout the day we we drink green tea, uh, mm-hmm. Japanese tea, gyokuro, which is grown under uh, like gunny sacks, so it keeps it uh, darker. It's a very dark green, very rich, leafy green, and. Um, we just we've really enjoyed it, and there's something about tea too that uh, it, it it's relaxing yet it picks you up at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's different than mm-hmm. coffee. Sure. Coffee takes you up and it slams you against the wall, you know. Well, not I shouldn't say that with you. We, we, you to, I see you tearing up. You have to do. You have to. Do, well, that's because you're not drinking enough of it. You have to. I, I think you I have insulted, to drink it till you slam. Mark, back. I think I insulted him. <laughs> I see that his bottom lip is quivering. Cause Andrew to react uh, in such a manner, right? But if you order decaf, that's one. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think yeah. about why would somebody want decaf? I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's funny in the old in the old days, especially in the morning. They had like um, they had like kind of the old diner speak for coffee drinks, and if someone ordered a a, 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 a skinny, it was, it was skim milk and decaf latte, it was called a why bother. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I needed a double grande why bother on wheels. <laughs> it's like why bother was decaf. I needed no well, fat, yeah. no no yeah. caffeine. Right. It's like, well, I'll, tell you why. I'll tell you another reason I like tea. Uh, surrounding the culture of tea is routine. Yeah. And there's something about, about getting the tea, the hot water, the cups... Uh, steeping it, sitting down. It's very similar to a guy that, like G.K. Chesterton or someone who smokes a pipe. Right. It's the routine. It's the, there's something about the familiar. It's relaxing. It's not. Uh, That's how I am with the now, pour have you ever, overs. Have you ever gone to a Japanese tea ceremony? Oh yeah, yeah, and experienced the whole. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, it, it's, it is interesting. I, I I do enjoy it, and tea is quite healthy for you too. I mean, that's how it is. Like I I do. I mostly drink craft black manually brewed coffee and mm-hmm. so it's literally like if i'm at home it's i'm get the scale out i'm measuring the coffee putting it in i have a hand a hario hand grinder from japan mm-hmm. i'm bonavita kettle i'm boiling the water from cold and mm-hmm. i'm preheating everything and then brewing on a gram scale and it's what, certain, what, mark what language is he speaking <laughs> the good one the good coffee yeah, kind the language of the okay language i have a tea qu- i have a tea question for you. meta language i have a tea question for you okay so i have upstairs a pan-fired sencha mm-hmm. it was delicious and i had always thought that sencha was a japanese tea but this sencha is a pan-fired sencha, and it's from Japan. It's from China. Mm-hmm. So, is so to, is, is not all sencha Japanese tea, or how does that work? Sen- the sencha tea, there is Japanese sencha. Yeah, I know that. And uh, sencha is like the everyday tea. Okay. It's uh, if you said, "Do you have any sencha?" That's like uh, that's like uh, going to McDonald's for coffee. Wow, so just rather than you, just tea. Yeah, it's just everyday, everyday type of tea. Hmm. Whereas uh, the gyokuro is much more expensive. There's teas that are quite, quite expensive. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Now see, and I know in in, in China, you know, I've had I've had Chinese teas that are fairly expensive, like rare Pereira cakes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, Pereira is the only tea that gets better with time. Yeah, and they come in look well, it looks like a cow pie. And then we have a. Um, Lapsing Saoshong upstairs. He drinks that sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, and that's you know. What, so what year is he now? <laughs> I'm kidding. No, that's very good. Smoky. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
And then he and now then it's when it comes to like things that pick you up but don't hit you as hard as cafe. We're 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 both fans of yerba mate, and we drink yerba mate from time. Does to he time. play cello? I do not. No, it is he. Yeah, yeah you just mentioned this gentleman here. Yo mate. Uh, <laughs> you gotta be a little quicker wow. with me on the interview there. Okay, so I'd like to apologize to our listeners for that. Here, here, here is a here's a little tea and a lesson in tea. People think that there's black tea and green tea. It's and all the same plant. It's right? all the same plant. Right. It's how you oxidize it. Right. If you oxidize it a lot, you got black tea, more caffeine. Mm-hmm. The less you oxidize it, all the way to what's called just a white tea or a, a the the plain green. It um it has less caffeine. Mm-hmm. Okay, now have you had cascara? No. Oh, oh, that's a new one. Now. So cascara is something Andrew serves in the coffee shop upstairs. Really? That is a tea, sort of, made from the coffee cherry. Really? So they take the you know all the coffee beans the are coming to yeah. fruit. They strip the fruit off and then dry the bean, you know, to make the coffee. But usually the fruit is just sort of left as. I mean, I don't know, they make it an animal feed or something. Yeah, they right? do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but you can take those dried coffee cherries and brew them right. and do this sort of beautiful kind of tea. It's sort of a, if, if coffee and tea had a baby, it would be cascara. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that bugs me about coffee, to be honest with you, I like good coffee, black coffee. In fact, I've even ranked my coffees number one, two, and three in the world. Okay. Uh, you'd be interested in this. I'm in. The best I'm... cup of coffee I've ever had was in the mountains of Costa Rica. Okay. Small little place on the side. You got beans and eggs and coffee for $2. Best cup I've ever had. Second best cup was in Kona, right where they start the uh, triathlon, mm-hmm. the Hawaiian triathlon. Second best cup I've ever had. Third best was a place in Des Moines, Iowa called the Heart of Darkness. I thought we weren't going to talk about Iowa anymore. <laughs> well, you can edit that out. Oh, okay. But, okay, Vegas. No, <coughs> but, they, but it was the third best and every cup was brewed just for you that's what i'm talking right. about before yeah. when i was making that weird language yeah. yeah yeah that's we do that upstairs yeah yeah it was um a good cup of coffee but here's the thing if if i get to heaven which i hope i do i'm going to find out if the person that added amaretto to coffees in heaven we're going to have a problem Okay, I think they're in the same rung of purgatory as Dan Shute and Marty Haugen. <laughs> and it's the fire is stoked with gather hymnals. As a, you know. Seriously, have you ever tasted something so abhorrent? I didn't. I putting anything in coffee, flavoring yeah. in coffee, and me not. Every uh, time I go there, they said, "Do you no, no? Just give me coffee, right? Do no. you want no? No coffee. Huh? Coffee huh? should be if it's prepared correctly. Should be." Like experiencing like wine, mm-hmm. it should be. It's got is just as many flavor compounds and everything. It's, you know, and it can be really sublime. The problem is, is that most people buy bad coffee. It's not fresh enough, and they don't brew it correctly, and you end up with all kinds of bitterness and So, what do you think about Keurig? I hate Keurig. I think it's the worst thing in the world. It's well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been nice talking to you today. <laughs> we, um, I hope both of you I hope both of you have a great day. <laughs> Keurig is the devil, man. I'm telling you. Um, and people are getting away from it finally. It's like you know, yeah. starting because of the manual brewing methods that are becoming easier and easier. It's just, well, it's just it's pre-ground coffee that's old as all get out. That is over it underdosed, so you get it's the whole system is going to cause over extraction. And it's just it's just a bad setup. But the only thing you have, it's just it's just caffeine delivery quick is all it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like having be like having a mini cigarette or something. Yeah, <laughs> or, or electronic cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just it's just bad. It's like you well, know, you got me going now. That you, maybe tomorrow you can get me a cup of your really 
great. No, you won't no be come disappointed. In. Yeah. Oh man, I've got. I tell you what, I was a. Uh, I was reading an article by. Um, um, Andy Springer from Sweet Bloom Coffee here in town, and he was talking about how he came up in coffee, and he said that the first time he ever had an entire cupping table of samples of a washed Ethiopian Yergeshev, it just blew his mind, right? And he says, um, he says, if I could just go to bed every night on a on a bed made of fresh ground cochera, which is a washed Ethiopian, and I was sitting there drinking an, a, a, a Ethiopia cochera, like right when I read that, and it's like this morning, even just this morning, I didn't even use my good hand grinder; I used my cheaper burr grinder, and I was in a hurry, wasn't really paying much attention, and I made a cup of Ethiopia cochera this morning, and it was just. What do you think about so coffee good. that was, um, shall we say, uh, pre-consumed by an animal? Oh, you're going to talk about Kopi Lilac, aren't you? It's a, it's a, it, Are it's we going to start a farm of those animals? It's a gimmick. We were talking the yeah. civic cats. We're going to start a civic cat farm. It's, a, it's a gimmick. It's all it does is that little guy's digestive tract hyper ages it. You could do like to do in India and put it out under the monsoon wind and rains on these monsooning patios for a few months and get the same effect. Monsoon or you could do like aged celibus in, in Golden Sumatra and put it into an Indonesian cave for seven years. Yeah. It's just a way to age it really quick. Okay. Now the gimmick was is this little guy has like really great infrared vision and he picks only the cherries that are at their absolute peak of ripeness. And he'll come back that afternoon and get one that he deemed not good enough earlier that day, right? But now they've got these things on leashes like foie gras or something they're just like force feeding them coffee meats it's just it's a it's an excuse to charge a bunch right it's super expensive and they do the same thing with tea but it's a little different what they do is they call it monkey picked and they yeah. what they do is they so call they, they release the monkeys they go up to the highest points in the tree and get these fresh little you know leaves and bring them down for mm. you I don't know if that that's really true or not but they they call it monkey picked and double the price yeah it's I just don't all that stuff I'm fine if, with giraffe picked if somebody <laughs> if, if we could combine the two and have the giraffes eat them and then we could get the giraffe <laughs> droppings and it could be like giraffe lua kofi giraffe or something I it's you know, if you're going to drop that kind of money, or even on Kona or Jamaica Blue Mountain, if you're going to drop that kind of money, then buy a auction lot of Panama Esmeralda Geisha or something. Buy there's there's how long have you spoken tongues? <laughs> Strangely enough, for quite a while. But um, <laughs> I'm a recovering charismatic, as I've often told. He also told. used to be a sommelier, so we can get into wine later, perhaps. Really? Yeah, I, I d- definitely wine is the paradigm for me on all this stuff. Yeah, so um, yeah, and then just coffee. When I started coffee, it was like everything. I just wanted like super dark, this bitter, yeah, you know, really French roast. And then over time, I figured out that you don't have to have bitterness for flavor. And like my yeah. wine, I ended up being a all more into being a, kind of a Pinot head as opposed to like these big extracted Zinfandels and stuff. And it's what you should as a tea person, you should like this. It's more elegant. It's more beautiful. It's subtle. Mm-hmm. It's floral. You yeah. know, that's what we're going for in the great coffees. I'll make you a beautiful cup in the morning. Okay, it's on me. <laughs> well. Uh, whether you're enjoying a, a fine cup of tea or your bamate or manually brewed coffee or whether you're planning to build a civic cat farm or go bull riding, we don't know. Or go get all-you-can-eat sushi like we're about to in a But second. we do know that we've reached the end of another episode of the Over-the-Counter Podcast. We want to thank Jeff Cavins for good joining to us talk today. with you guys. We never did get into theology or Bible or anything, did we? We don't. And we don't. <laughs> where, where can That's people the, find your stuff? You can find my stuff at jeffcavins.com. Facebook, too, and uh, BibleStudyForCatholics.com. All right. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. All right. God bless you guys. Hey, you forgot to do the thing. You sign up. Oh, I'm... Right. So this has been the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I'm Andrew Whaley. <laughs>